All right, excellent. This side is cranking over here. You guys can get up and get a little more coffee in this morning. Oh, man, we are so glad, uh, as Mike said, that you're here today. Um, What we shared with you this last Easter, just this last week, and it was really the kickoff for what we're going to do for nine weeks long, uh, this whole series entitled Everything That You Need, which is what we shared with you last week. Because of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, we have everything that we need, and that's what we're going to look at today. Um, the, today the title of today's message, though, is it's all who you know. If you're going to have everything you need, then it's all going to start with who you know. So you guys all know each other now after that great greeting? You're all tight and, you know, all right, excellent, very cool. No, but if you think about I was just talking to somebody last week. In this economy, if you need a job, which I'm sure some of you do, what would you rather do? Like look on KSL, you know, throw your, throw your resume out or have a personal connection? Thank you very much. You win the prize, sir. Yes, you would want a personal connection. I mean, you know that if you have somebody who's speaking good for you, you have a good chance of getting this job, and that's what happened to somebody last week when I was talking to him. And immediately out of my mouth was, man, it's all who you know. You guys find yourself saying that all the time? I mean, if you're going to buy a ticket to an event, you know, if you know somebody, you have a much better chance of getting the better seat inside you know, you, you, all those type of things. Um, even medical doctors. You know, if you guys, when you go to, if, if you have to find, you have a medical problem, something's wrong, you have to go to the IHC website to find your doctor. There's not a whole lot of comfort in that, is there? I don't know if you guys remember a couple of years ago, I had that throat thing and my voice was like this and, and I didn't know in ENT people. And so I just went out there and found somebody and you get there. And I remember my first visit with that doctor, I felt like he didn't even care if I was there. And then, finally, I made a connection with somebody, because it's all who you know, and they connected me with somebody who just did a fantastic job helping me get through that whole ordeal. In fact, my my daughter, Mariah, uh, I don't know if many of you maybe know or do not know, when she was born, she had a hemangioma uh, on her face, and it actually was growing inside, and um, we found out that if it would continue to grow that it would cause her to go blind in that eye. And it's a big, huge red birthmark that starts small and just keeps taking over your face, basically. And uh, finally, uh, a friend of ours, mom, was in town visiting. And she said, hey, is, um, man, is there anybody helping you out with that, with your daughter's birthmark? And we're like, well, you know, we've got our pediatrician and so-and-so is trying to help us. And she said, hey, would you guys mind if I talk to my son? He's a pediatric neurologist down in Little Rock, Arkansas. And we're like, yeah, what? <laughs> Sure, that'd be great. So she contacts him, and little do we know that one of his co-workers is Milton Weiner. Now, I don't know if you know the name Milton Weiner, but when we mentioned this back in Detroit, we had so many people come to us and say, I've seen him. If you watch the Discovery Channel or things of that nature, he'll be this doctor who takes really severe cases of people who almost like the elephant man situation, which is what Mariah had if it would have continued to grow. And he is the world-renowned doctor on this very specialty. And because of who you know, our daughter got the best care possible for her situation. I'm telling you, it is all who you know when you think about your life. So so here's the question. Do you know him? Do you know him? See, because when we talk about God, if it's all who you know, what would happen if you actually had a connection to God. I mean, if we get extra perks, 
you know, with medical stuff or with jobs or with events because we know somebody. What kind of perks would happen in your life if you actually knew God? So here's what we're talking about today, you guys, for the next nine weeks, is apparently we can have everything we need if we know him. And so Peter, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ, if anybody knew Jesus, it would be Peter. Because he was chosen by him, he lived with him for three years, day and night. And not only was he one of the 12, but if you read the Bible, you'll also find out that Jesus had three that he was really tight with, Peter, James, and John. And so if there was anybody who knew Jesus Christ at the core, it would be Peter. And we have two of his books, First and Second Peter, that he wrote for us. And what we're going to do for the next nine weeks is we're going to take chapter one of Second Peter, and we're just going to look at like 12 verses for nine weeks. And here's the reason why. Because what we find out later on uh, in the book, in chapter uh, 2, oh, actually, no, I'm sorry, in, in chapter 1, verse 12, Peter says this. He goes, I will always remind you of these things, the very stuff we're going to teach on for the next two months. He goes, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. So for some of you here today, um, the stuff we're going to teach you, you may already know. Some of you might actually be firmly established in the stuff that we're going to teach you for the next two months. Some of you have never heard this before in your life. Some of you have heard it and you haven't totally grasped it. But Peter says, I'm going to go through this. And he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So what's happening in 2 Peter, you guys, is he knows he's going to die. Jesus has told him, actually, that this was going to happen. So his days are numbered. And what he's saying to us in this point is, if I'm on my deathbed, and I know there's only one last thing that I want you to remember, this is what I'm going to share with you. What would you share? I was just thinking about that. If that was me. If I'm on my deathbed, if I'm in the hospital someday and my children walk in or Susie walks in or, or even one of you would walk in to visit me and I knew I had one last thing to share with you, what would I share with you? See, what Peter is going to share with you is what he feels is the absolute most important thing. He ends it with this. He goes, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. What we're going to share with you for the next two months were the absolute most important thing to Peter, the one who walked with Jesus Christ, and he wants us to know it as well. And um, Mike kind of stole my thunder just a little bit there, but can I just share with you guys? Um, It is true. Um, I was a little out of control for service because what I'm going to share with you today, I don't know if in, in my 20 years of ministry... I don't know if there is a more important message that I could ever give to you. I I do think if Jesus would say, hey, Nelson, you're done tomorrow. You got one last message. What do you want to share? I think I would share with you what I get to share with you today. So, I I mean, I've just kind of been shaken, to be honest with you. I am so excited to share with you. I feel like I'm going to share with you today the absolute essence of life. Not just Christianity, but of life. And this just seems so critical to me. And in fact, I've loved this passage in First Peter or Second Peter so much. 
every time I've read it, but I realized in January, I was starting to do, I was gotten Second Peter again just for my personal time with God, and I realized, man, I have never totally dove into the depths of this passage to really get it. And so I've been doing this now for almost four months, just diving into these verses. Sometimes I've spent like two hours just on one verse, just, I just, because I want to know this truth. And I just want to say for you as, as, as a pastor of this church, I want you to know this so badly. So I think we better pray, okay? Because I also know that if you hear me talk today, you know, you're going to leave and wish you would, you know, it's a beautiful day. You wish we'd have done something else. But if we can pray right now, and you will hear the voice of God to your heart, um, then you, I, I, I know you'll never be the same again. And that's, that's amazing to me. So let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for every person that's here in this room. Because it is not an accident that they showed up today. I know you love them. I know you care about them. I know you want them to know you. And you want everybody in this room to have everything they need for life. God, I know what I'm going to share. I'm just going to dump it out there. But we are going to need your spirit to actually give us the wisdom and revelation to understand it, to grasp it. I am asking God that today would not be a day of information, but a day of transformation. So God, you know what people need to hear today. You know what I need to hear. And I just, I just ask now that you just fill up this place truly with your presence and make it a holy place so that your stuff can be done in our hearts. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, encourage just go ahead and open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. And um, <clears throat> I also want to encourage you, uh, please go home today, pull out your Bible. I would read, just read this thing. Read 2 Peter, read the whole book, read the first chapter, read it over and over again, uh, so that as we teach it in here, maybe it'll actually be something that God will speak, be speaking to you about. Um, so let's start off. First one. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So the very thing he does is, is he establishes something here, and I think this is important to help us to, 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 as we go through. He says two things about himself. He goes, I'm a servant, and I'm an apostle. And actually, the word servant, I think probably should even be a stronger word there. Normally, it's, it's uh, translated slave. <laughs> he goes, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, back in this day and age, you could be a bond servant or a slave. You could offer yourself to somebody else. As their, and they could be their, your Lord and, the, and master, and you would simply, if you were a slave, what do you do? You do whatever your master tells you to do. So one of the things that Peter wants us to know right off the bat is, hey, just to let you guys know, I do whatever Jesus Christ wants me to do. I'm a slave. One guy put it this way. I love this. He goes, a slave, this word, referred to one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. Isn't that cool? It's somebody whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. So what Peter's trying to tell us is say, hey, before I even write this letter to you guys, the most important thing to me in all the world, I just want to let you know, my will, my words have been swallowed up by the will of God. So here you go. Second thing is, I'm an apostle. And Peter was an apostle not by his own choosing, right? He was chosen by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. And an apostle in this day was someone who was an eyewitness of Christ. And he was also someone who had authority 
As you know, Jesus also told Peter, he goes, you're going to be the head of my church. You're going to start, this whole thing that you and I are sitting in today started with Peter as the leader. So here's what Peter wants us to to know from the beginning of this letter. I am not going to share with you my opinion because I'm a slave to Jesus. So whatever Jesus told me, whatever he taught, that's just what I tell him. And I'm an apostle and an apostle is somebody who has the authority of Christ to be able to share these things with you. So take it for what it's worth. And for you guys here today, take it for what it's worth. But what I'm going to share with you comes from a man who was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. In fact, he says this later in the verse, verse 16. He says, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. (laughs) That's so cool. So here Peter says, I want you to know. And here's what I want you to know. Last week, you guys, was Easter. And if you were here with us at K2, we celebrated the fact that when Easter happened and the curtain was ripped in two, all of a sudden, everything that kept humanity from being in the presence of God was gone. And you and I now have every spiritual blessing in heaven. Everything. We are, every one of you in this room, are a spiritual like gazillionaire. (laughs) You are absolutely loaded spiritually. Every single one of you. But we just need to figure out how to appropriate that, how to make that a part of our life. The inheritance is yours. And today, as we start this off, we're kind of going to just take what we talked about yesterday and move one step further. Um, what I'm going to share with you initially in the first half of this message is a, it's like, it's like a seven-course gourmet meal that Peter says is yours. How many of you have eaten a seven-course gourmet meal? How many of you have had that experience? Really, I want to see how many of you have had that experience. Wow, see, not very many of you. I'm telling you, you need to go right now. All, all you wives, look at your husband and say, come on, baby, seven-course gourmet meal this weekend. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, my uh, first anniversary uh, with Susie, we actually spent in Paris. Um, yeah, we were on a mission trip. Um, see, I, now I know how to pick mission trips, don't I? Um, but we were seriously trying to help a, a church get started because churches have a really hard time getting going in Paris. And, uh, and so while we were there, I just told this person, I said, listen, I don't know Paris. It's my first anniversary. You pick a restaurant for me. And, I, and, I, and then I said, money is no option. I got rid of that. I said, you know what? I'm only going to have one first anniversary. Go for it. Holy crow. I mean, they set me up at Les Ambassadors right across from the U.S. Embassy. And it was the most phenomenal. I could spend the rest of my message just telling you about that meal. You guys, I mean, they brought out the course of salmon, and it like melted in my mouth. How does fish melt in your mouth? That's my question. It was unbelievable. In every course that came out, you'd just be like, oh. And they bring out the second one, oh. I mean, after six courses, I'm like, oh. I'm like, seriously, I am so done. I couldn't move. And then they brought out white chocolate raspberry. Oh, I was toast. Because that's my favorite dessert. The raspberry was the best raspberry I've ever had. I mean, I'm telling you, this is what Peter is saying to you today. You ready for this? We, I am going to lay before you a seven-course spiritual meal that you have never had before. It's unbelievable. That's what Peter's going to do. And he goes, that's why I can't wait to tell you about it. Okay, you ready? Here are seven things that every single one of you in this room either can have, if you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ yet, or you already have if you are a follower of Jesus, all right? Let's go. Verse 1. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith 
as precious as ours. The first thing that you have, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ because of Easter, is you have been given a faith. Now, one of the things that's important, sometimes when the Bible talks about the faith, the faith, it'll talk about the whole like, body of doctrine. You've been given truth or you've been given information. That's not the case in this verse. When it says you have received a faith, what he's saying is you have received the ability and the capacity to trust God. And I'm telling you, this is what's amazing to me, is you receive it as a gift. It's a gift that God gives you. 1 Timothy 1.14 says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's why this is such a great gift. Because some of you right now today in this room, you, you don't believe. You don't have faith. You don't trust God. And, and, you just, and, that's, and you know what? Obviously, that's pretty normal all around the world. Some of you are very religious, church-going people. And yet you know that you still struggle to actually trust God. Some of you are religious, and you really don't have any faith. Some of you in here have trusted God, and it was awesome. And you don't trust Him anymore. I'm telling you guys, the ability to believe in Christ is something you receive through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What we celebrated last week, if Jesus Christ hadn't died on the cross and risen from the dead, we would have no ability to believe in God. But because he has, you can receive this. Now, let me show you why this is so important. Did you guys know that every single one of you has faith? All of you have faith. Let me just read this real quick. Faith is a common denominator of life on earth. We exercise it in a thousand ways every day, and we exercise it instinctively and automatically. Faith is what makes human relationships and transactions possible. Where faith is destroyed, life breaks down. Every time we put money in the bank, we exercise faith in the soundness and integrity of that bank. Not anymore, but we we used to. Um, Every time we enter a building... We exercise faith in its architect and its builder. Every time we board a bus or a plane or take the passenger seat in a car, we exercise faith in the vehicle, its designer and manufacturer, and in its driver. And so it goes. We exercise faith in our doctor that he has made a correct diagnosis and prescribed the right treatment. We exercise faith in the druggist and trust that he has properly read the doctor's scrawl, which is, I don't know how they do, and mixed the right ingredients in the proper amounts in the medicine we take. We rarely think about these things, but every one of us all day long exercises faith. And if you didn't exercise faith, you would have to sit in your house. You would never leave your home. And you know what? That's why for some of us in here, to never have been able to believe or trust in God. Your spiritual journey has never taken off. The first course that Peter lays out before you, every single one of you, he wants to tell you, because of Jesus Christ, through the work of Christ, you have received faith. And I'm telling you, if you have faith today, you are so grateful for that gift. 
because it is what allows you to go on the adventure with God. All right, that's the first course. Now, the ones, these other ones, I got to bust because I got so much I want to share with you. The second one, he says, is in verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Now, grace and abundance. What is grace? Do you guys know what grace is? Grace is a free gift of God. It is a work that God does in your heart so that you can now do what you couldn't do before. God, all the time, works in us to empower us to do what we couldn't do ourselves. I mean, it is an amazing gift to have grace. And here he says, you could actually have God's grace in abundance. Anybody in here not want that? I mean, to have God working in your life, empowering you to do what you can't do today and have it come in abundance. The second thing he says is, I will, you will also have peace. Peace. Grace and peace in abundance be yours. Anybody here need some peace? I'm telling you, man, when you think about peace, there's two things you have. The first one is this. You can have peace with God. That was Good Friday. When Jesus Christ was nailed on the cross, God took all his of his wrath towards sin. By the way, God hates sin, and his wrath does get poured out on sin. And so I don't know about you, but personally, when I face Jesus Christ, when I die, I want to know I'm at peace with him. And that I'm not at odds with him. In fact, to be totally honest with you, part of the reason I came to Christ was I was driving down the road one day when I was in college. And I was looking out the window. You know when cars go by you and they make that sound? My window was down. It goes, shoo, shoo, shoo. I, somehow I just got in this trance. I'm like, shoo, shoo. And I'm driving like this and I'm watching all these cars. And I hear this little voice in my head say, oh, you probably should look at the road. Um, look at the road. Look at the road. So I look at the road and there was a car stopped full stop, like from me to the first row of chairs. To this day, I have no idea how I didn't hit that car. Somehow, boom, and I had like a 10-minute drive home, and all I said was, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And not only because I didn't want to die, you know why I was really saying thank you to Jesus? Because at that moment, baby, I was not at peace with God. The way I was living my life, it would not have been a real fun encounter with him. But when Jesus Christ died for all of my sins, the Bible says, I am forgiven completely and I am at peace with God. That's a gift. Now, here's the other peace you have. When you get God into your life, you also get the peace of God. You're not just at peace with God, you get the peace of God. And I'm telling you, man, every single one of us is going to need that. We've been talking about it for three weeks before Easter about the peace that can be ours in the midst of this economy, the peace that can be ours even when our physical bodies are failing us, the peace that can be ours when everything else is around us falling apart. God says, I can give you your peace. And what Peter says is grace and peace be yours in abundance. Okay, there's your first three courses. He brings out the fourth one and he says this. Verse three, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let's look at this one. His divine power has given us, here's your fourth meal, fourth, fourth course. He has given you everything you need for life. Everything you need for life. And what did it? His divine power. 
You guys, again, I was over in the red, I don't, so I don't know how many of you, but last week when I was talking about Easter, I'm just thinking, I have never been to a funeral, right? Where some dude popped up in the middle of a, who was dead. That just doesn't happen. I mean, the fact that Jesus Christ, three days after being buried, rose from the dead is divine power. And it's his divine power, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, is living in you if you've received him. You have everything that you need for life. I'm telling you, and this, is, this has been the verse for me, for the last three months, I have held on to this. And when I'm stressed out or when the pressures come or the conflicts hit or whatever happens in my life, when all of a sudden the joy and the peace is gone, I will sit there and I'll go, wait a second, I have everything I need for life. You know what's amazing? When he says, by his divine power, he has given Did you guys know that is a perfect passive participle? Does that not psych you up? Okay, yeah, no, it doesn't psych you up, but it should because what that means is the divine power, a perfect passive means this. It's something that happened. When you receive Christ, you got it. But when it's present, it means it continues to be there. It's not something that happened one time. It's something that is with you every single day. I have divine power, which is unbelievable for me to think about. That's your fourth course. Your fifth course, he says, is you have everything that you need for godliness. Do you know what godliness is? Godliness is the ability to live a life that's pleasing to God. You're in church here, and unless you didn't really want to be here and you just came with a friend, I would say that everybody else in view in this room probably wants to please God, don't you? I mean, don't you want to live a life that actually where God goes, way to go where he pours his blessing on you because you were able to do what he asked you to do. And yet, I don't know if you're like me, but so much of the time you don't. Well, here's the verse that says, wait, well, did you know that you have everything you need to be able to live a God-centered life instead of a self-centered life? And you just, I, when I read that, I go, are you kidding me? I have it. It is yours to have. The sixth one, he goes on in verse four. He goes, his divine power has given us everything that we need. And then verse four, through these, He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. Here's your sixth course. You and I can participate in the divine nature. In the divine nature. The best way I know to explain that, you guys, is in Galatians when it talks about the the fruit of the Spirit of God. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's being able to be gentle, it's being able to be good, it's being able to have self-control. What God is telling us today, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the curtain tore in two, all of a sudden, the very presence of God could come in your life and he could help you to be a loving, joyful, peace-filled, gentle, kind, self-controlled person. And I don't know, when I read that list, I'm like, man, that sounds great. I would love to have that. It is yours. You have everything you need to live that life. And here's your white chocolate raspberry, your last course he lays before you. You can escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. You know, I grew up in Michigan, 
and uh, winters are, you know, they're good here, but they're really good back in Michigan. And, uh, and one of the, I also grew up in a small town that was a bedroom community for all the factories, for all the uh, automobile industries. I actually grew up thinking everybody's dad worked in a factory. That was just my... And when you grew up in that type of town, everybody drove their cars forever because nobody had very much money. And, and it was hilarious because when you, everybody almost had a car that would have rust, you know, that just kind of crept up the sides and corroded it away. I mean, all of us had that stuff. You and you've seen that, you know it eats the car away. Metal is gone. I know for some of you today, in your heart, you are being corrupted. And you don't want to be. Your soul is being eaten away. Your heart is hard, or it's angry, or it's full of fear. Whatever it is, you wake up every morning and you just wish that there was something better if I could just get out of the struggle that I'm having in my heart. For some of you, what's being corrupted is your relationships. Some of you right now are even sitting next to somebody and the bond that you had in your relationship, there is spiritual rust and it's eating away at what holds you together. And you are so fearful that it's going to fall apart. Some of you have that with your children. And I'm telling you, every relationship at some point, if it falls apart, it's because there was self-centered living. And what he says here is you now, because Jesus Christ died and rose on the dead, because every spiritual blessing is yours, did you know that you could escape the corruption of your relationships? You could escape the corruption of your own heart. I love that word escape. It's like Jesus comes in and takes you out and sets you free. I went off in the first service. I'm not going to do that. I just, but I, I just, when I look at this, you guys, I go, what? When you wake up in the morning, what do you want? To know that for me, every day I wake up, that Jesus Christ has laid a table before me spiritually of faith and grace and peace and everything I need for life and everything I need for godliness and that I can participate in the divine nature and I can escape the stuff that's trying to ruin my life. I'm like, then bring it on. Anybody else want that? Okay, you in the back, you and me. We're awesome. All right, so I'm telling you, this is it. And so here's my question, and here's why I've studied this passage so hard. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been in the ministry for over 20 years. I have tasted that. And I know it's good. But I also know that I am far from the life that Jesus wants me to have. Some of you, you've just smelled it. You're like, oh, not bad. And you have yet to ever taste it. Some of you have just gone, "Mm, oh, oh, mm, not bad. Some of you have actually devoured some of it, and for some reason you're not eating of it right now. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? The reason I wanted to do this series is because apparently I have everything I need. Apparently I am a spiritual millionaire, and too much of the time I don't live like it. I live like a spiritual pauper. And apparently I don't have to, and either do you. Now, if you could have everything that you needed for your life, wouldn't you want it? 
Wouldn't you go after it? Wouldn't you just say, thank you, God? So my question, which we're going to answer here in the second half, is why don't we have it? And how do we get it? And you know what Peter's answer is? Grace and peace be yours in abundance through your knowledge of God. You have everything that you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of God. Apparently, and this is is what I couldn't wait to share with you today. Apparently, if we really knew God, we'd have life that is way beyond anything we've been able to muster up ourselves. So here's the question. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to know Him? The word in here is called is epinosis. And what it means is a more intense knowledge. It's a full knowledge. It's not just knowing about something. It's knowing it deeply. You know, like for, for me, like right now, I, I go to the, like the bank or I go to a restaurant or I'm walking downtown and there'll be, I'll run into some of you and you'll be like, hey, Dave, you know? And I'm like, hey, buddy, you know? Because... <laughs> I, there's, I mean, I don't know you guys, but, you know, week after week, I share my heart with you. And so sometimes there are things you know about me because I've shared those. But you guys know you don't know me, right? I've shared things about myself. You know that, but you don't know me. Now, Susie knows me. Well, we wanted, before we jump into this, we wanted to give you a good illustration of this. I remember a little over a year ago, Kyle Korver got dra- uh, traded to the Utah Jazz. And the poor guy, I mean, he was on every news station and everywhere you look around, he was just highlighted. It's like everybody knew who Kyle Korver was and all the girls wear pink future Mrs. Korver jerseys, you know, to the game and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but he plays for the Jazz in case you didn't know that. So anyway, we hunted Kyle down and uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like to be known about but not really known. So let's watch this together. We're trying to find people who think they know Kyle Korver. I need to talk to a Kyle Korver fanatic. I need to talk to somebody who knows Kyle Korver. Do you know Kyle Korver? Look at you. You're a Kyle Korver fan? Uh, I, I know that all the girls like him. Yeah. <laughs> I know him. Kyle Korver, will you marry me? So you know Kyle Korver, yes? Oh, I'm so willing to state I know Kyle Korver. You don't know me. You don't know me at all. Take the Kyle Korver quiz. You ready? Dude, okay. Kyle Korver, right? Yeah. You know him. Yeah. Okay, what number is he? I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't know what number. 24. 26. What number is he? This will be... 26. 26? <laughs> 26, you got that. Uh, 26. 26. Is that right? What kind of socks does he wear? Um, high ones. Long NBA ones. He wears the knee socks. The knee socks, the high ones? Yep. Big tall ones. They're white. Like, I love those. Yeah. Fair enough. Kyle likes the high socks. He likes the high socks? You know, there's some different variations of how it all started. I'm not really sure what the true story is, but okay. he's been wearing high socks for a long time now. Where did he go to school? Where did he go to college? Keep Creighton. Right. Yeah. Creighton. You both yeah, hold up. Oh, I know this one. Hold on. Give me a clue. Give you a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a hint. Give us a hint. Um, starts with a C. Syracuse. That's an S. Don't put that on there. He's like Iowa or somewhere near there. Iowa? Uh, Kyle went to Creighton. Creighton? In Omaha, Nebraska. Ooh, even through in the city and state. Is that correct? That's correct. What what do you think the first bone in his body he ever broke was and how old was he? His finger. I'm going to say a finger. Finger? Leg. His arm. His ankle. (laughs) You're like, come on, quit embarrassing us. Seven years old. uh, Close. Calf. 
Or knee bone. Calf. Knee bone. Knee bone. <laughs> Your knee bone. Okay. Here's the first bone you broke. Yeah, it's collarbone. On a on a terrible bike ramp that we built. <laughs> you don't know me at all. I know Kyle Corver. I know him. What was his first grade teacher thing? Uh. Um. Crouch. Miss Johnson. What was his uh, first grade teacher's name? Uh, you had Mrs. Good. <laughs> you are right. Because yeah. I had Mrs. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't think you'd know that. Did uh, you? I was a little worried about that. <laughs> so, uh, what's his favorite cereal growing up? Oh Come on, you know Kyle Forrest. Tony the Tiger, uh, Frosted Flakes. Lucky Charms. Uh, Cheerios! Wheaties. I would guess Wheaties as well. Wheaties. Uh, Rice Krispies. That's stupid. Nobody's favorite cereal is Rice Krispies. <laughs> but you know Kyle Corbett. You know him. You know stuff. What was his favorite cereal growing up? This might get a little intense. Favorite cereal? Our, our dad, let's see. Our dad used to make us toast every morning. So if I was going to say a favorite cereal though, uh, maybe like Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, is it Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Is that it? That's it. Excellent. That was my favorite. We didn't get to eat. We didn't get it very much. No, we never got it. What? Do you feel like you know your brother? Yep. Yeah. Sweet. Do you feel like he knows you? Yeah, I do. I think I know. And I know that more today. More I think I might know better than anybody. <laughs> That's a false statement. Yeah, I think mom's been mad you said that. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Huge difference between knowing something about somebody and actually knowing with them. And the whole point of which I'm going to share with you, because apparently the whole secret to our life with God is that we need to know him and not just know about him. And I want to tell you this, the level that you engage with a person is the level that you know them. And really, I think part of our problem here is, you guys, is the way we were taught, the way we were educated. If you could receive information and then spit that information back to your teacher, then you were told you knew something, right? I mean, I was the master of that. I mean, I graduated with a really good high GPA, and I knew nothing. But I could spit back information, and that makes us know something? No. For you to actually know something, you actually have to engage with it and experience it. Parker Palmer is an author of this book that I've been reading called To Know As You Are Known. And here's what he says. This is, the, if you, this is what I'm going to teach on for the last 15 minutes here. This is what it's all about. To know in truth is to enter into the life of that which we know. You have to enter into the life of that which we know. And you need to allow it to enter into yours. If you're ever going to know a person, you have to let that person into your life. You have to open yourself up to them. But you also have to engage in their life. You know, like I, I was just thinking, this happens all the time. Like um, I was trying to think of a really cool place I've been, like the Austrian Alps. Have anybody been to the Austrian Alps? Okay, a few of you. How many of you have seen pictures of the Austrian Alps? Okay, I mean, so all of us have seen pictures. How many of you would like to be in the Austrian Alps? I mean, it's a beautiful place. But I can tell you, you could Google it, you could picture it, you could study it, but until you've stood on the side of those mountains, you haven't tasted it. 
That meal that Susie and I had in Paris, I could tell you about it. You could Google the restaurant. You could look at the menu. You could even get their recipes and try to cook it yourself. And believe me, you would never have experienced it and known it like I knew it. My wife, Susie, you guys know things about me? My wife knows me. You know why? Because I have let Susie into my life and I have engaged into her life. You have to participate in each other's lives. I was thinking about that with Susie. What's, what's different because we have now got into each other's lives? First, for me, I now partake in avocados, sushi, and tofu. I had never done that before. I hadn't had any of those foods until Susie entered into my life. She now, I asked her last night, she now partakes in cereal, more sugar, and desserts. <clears throat> so that's how I've been able to bless her. Um, and then this was great. I, I, I have now participated in the likes of Anne of Green Gables and Pride and Prejudice. How many guys can say that, huh? Yeah, that's been a part of my life. In like authors like J.R. Tolkien and George Herbert and Annie Dillard, Anne Lamott and Leo Tolstoy. Because Susie has gotten into my life. And Susie now cheers for the Detroit Lions. Which, so you can totally see who gets the better deal by the two of us getting together here. And, I'll, and I'm going to try to, I'll, just, I'll be really, you know, honoring here as well. But even the whole idea of sexual activity, you guys, the most beautiful gift that God has given us in a relationship with another person is the sexual relationship that we can have. And it's participating. It's partaking. You give yourself fully, but you also receive fully. And Susan and I were just talking last night. And when sexual activity is only done one way, when it's forced upon or given, but it's not received, it's awful. In fact, it's abusive, right? But when it is given and received, you know that person. And I'm telling you, in fact, in the Bible, the word know is used for sexual experience with another person. Let me try to explain it. Here's another way to explain it. There's a couple verses that talk about Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says that he knew no sin. Well, what's that mean? Did that mean Jesus is like, oh, that's a sin? I didn't know that. I mean, is that, is that how? No, believe me, if anybody knows what a sin is, it's Jesus. So he knew what sin was. So what does it mean that he knew no sin? It means he never participated in sin. He never engaged in it and he never let it into his being. You know, there's another kind of scary verse actually to me where Jesus says, some of you are going to say, wait a second, didn't I go to church for you and cast out demons for you and prophesy for you? And then he says, go away from me because I never knew you. Now again, does that mean that Jesus doesn't know who you are and he doesn't know things about you? No, he knows everything about you. You know what Jesus says? When he says, I never knew you, you know what he's saying? He goes, I never had anything to do with you. And I just, I, I, I just want to encourage you today that if you don't let Jesus have anything to do with you, if you never let him and receive him fully into your life, and if you never fully engage into his life, then you won't know him. And if you don't know him, then you don't have eternal life. And so... When Peter says, do you guys realize you have everything that you need for life? And for some of you, you're sitting here and you're going, are you kidding me? I've been going to church for like 40 some years and nothing changes. 
Well, see, it's not going to church that's going to change it. You can, some, you can go to church, you can be here right now, and in the next 10 minutes, you can say, yeah, I don't really, I'm not going to receive that information. You have, God gives you total freedom to do that. You have every right to be able to say no. But if you do say no, and you never receive God into your life, then you'll never know him. And if you sit here today and you receive the message, but then you walk out of here and you don't engage in his life at all, then you're never going to know him. And you will miss out on everything that he has for you. Every spiritual blessing comes from knowing him. But the only way you're going to know him, you're going to know him to the level that you engage with him. Just like for some of you, like I look at Pete, I know Pete, we've had engaging conversations so you know me. You know me a lot better you know, than somebody else that has never talked to me. But nobody knows me like my wife because I engage with her. I let her into the depths of my being and I go into the depths of hers. You guys, does this make sense? So here's, let me, let me just kind of end this thought. I'm not ending. I've got a few more minutes, but I want to make sure you understand this. Here's what it is. How do we do this with God? The first thing that has to happen is you have to receive Jesus Christ into your life. Information about Jesus will never save you. You actually need to invite him and receive him into your life. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, if anyone receives him, he gives the right to become a child of God. You got to want him in your life. Now, here's the question. But see, some of you have said, well, I have invited Jesus Christ into my life. Well, how come it isn't any better? Well, then maybe you invited him into your heart, but have you actually invited Jesus into your life? Do you receive Jesus, let's say, first of all, into your relationships? Is Jesus allowed into your marriage? Do you bring Jesus Christ into your parenting with your kids? Is Jesus, do you receive him in, into your relationships with your parents and your siblings and friendships? If you're dating someone, is Jesus in there or your coworkers or your neighbors? See, now sometimes we say, well, man, yeah, I want Jesus in my life right now in my, in my, in my marriage. I need some help, <laughs> you know? But hey, but when I'm out with the buddies, I, I don't want Jesus in that part because <laughs> I got some things. I, you know, you, you need, if you really want to know Christ at the fullest of your capability, you need to allow Christ into every relationship that you have. Now, here's where it's hard, and this is why many of us don't do it, is Colossians 2.6 says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... See, when you receive Christ, he actually is Lord. When he comes in, he changes your heart. And again, a lot of us don't want him to change us. And that's why we don't want to have anything to do with him. But if you want to know him, if you're here at church today because you want to know God, because you want grace and peace and abundance, because you want everything that you need for life, because you want to escape what's destroying your life. If you want to know God like that, then you've got to receive him into every relationship. Let me go down a bunch of more lists. You need to receive Christ into your dreams and into your hopes. Some of you have dreams, but they don't include Jesus Christ at all. You want to do your own thing. You have to bring Christ into your occupation, into your recreation. See, that's another one. Well, that's great. Jesus, help me with my job so I can do a good thing. But man, when I go out and play, I don't want you. You know, I'm going to leave you off to the side. No, not if you want to know him. Into your conduct, into your thoughts. Do you let Jesus into your thoughts, into your fantasies? Do you let him in to the dreams that you have? Do you let him in to the false thinking that you have about how wonderful and incredible you are? Do you let him in there to your lies? 
Does he affect your speech? Do you let Jesus into your finances? See, so many of us, again, we, we're like, man, I've heard one guy say, the, 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 the longest part is between our heart and our wallet because, man, you get Jesus in here, it, it takes a long time to get here because I want to receive Christ, but I don't want him to touch that part of my life. Do you let him into your pain, into your hurt, into your fears, into your emotions? And I think here's the most important one. If you receive Christ into your life, do you actually let Christ get into your sin? Do you invite Jesus into the stuff that he hates? Do you invite him into the stuff in your heart that you're trying to hide from him? Because most of the time we want to hide from God. That's a lie from the enemy. Because what he has helped you to believe is if you open up your heart and let God into your sin, he is going to be so disgusted with you. He's going, he will punish you. Are you kidding me? Did you guys hear last week? See, if you open up your heart and you let Jesus into the depths of the stuff that you're trying to hide from everybody else, including God, what will he do to it? He says, if you confess your sin to me, I will forgive you. I will cleanse you and I will set you free. For some of you, you're a churchgoer. Some of you, you're a Christian and you have never let Jesus touch your sin. The most freeing thing that has ever happened in my life was to confess the deepest, darkest secrets of my life. The stuff I knew I would never tell anybody. I'm telling you guys, when that gets out and you let Jesus, again, to know him is to let him in. When you let him in to the deepest secrets of your life, he will set you free. So you got to let him in. Well, how? You let him in every area of your life. And I just want to tell you, any area that you're holding Jesus out of, and we all do it, all of us hold him out of areas, it is to that degree that you won't know him. And it's to that degree that you won't have everything that you need. Now, the second thing is, though, is you receive everything from God, but then you've got to engage in his life. And I know for many of us here, we come to church, you know, and we receive, you know, the worship and the message, and it's good for us. And then we're going to walk out these doors, and we have no intention of engaging in his life. And again, if you want to know him, if you want to, information isn't going to help you. One of the things you're going to have to do is engage in his life. Let him in and then get into his life. Here's just a list of some things. That would mean loving the things he loves, doing the things he does, serving instead of being served, care for justice, care for the oppressed, just love people, forgive others, speak the truth, give people grace. Join in his mission. Tell others of his great love. Make disciples. Be loving, patient, kind, and gentle. Be compassionate. You guys, God is always out there doing stuff. He's always doing stuff. And now for you and me, if you want to know him, and some, please help me make this make sense. If you want to know him, but all you do is go to church, you'll never know him. It all happens. Intimacy with God happens out there. I think it could be catalyst here. I think we can, you know, put fuel on the fire for you here. But man, you got to burn out there. You need to receive from God all the time and you need to engage in his life all the time. Now, 
if you look over here, um, we were talking through this, and I just, this picture just hit us as we were trying to, trying to figure out how can we help you to know what this is. This large wheel, ever since you walked in here, this wheel's been turning, very slowly spinning. And this is going to be up here every week. And what we wanted to do is have this large wheel represent God. Because the Bible tells us God is always at work. God is always raining down his blessings. He's pouring his grace, his love, his power, his wisdom, his strength, his hope, his everything, you guys. God is always giving to you. He's always moving. But if we stay distant from God, we don't get it. We don't know him. But if you receive him, and if you engage in his life, then look at what happens. Let's just, we just want to just try to sh- picture this. If that happens, bam, bam, your life starts moving. I have been trying to figure out why is it that I can live without the full fruitfulness of God in my life. And I believe what Peter is saying is, he goes, I want one thing for you to know. If you will engage with God and get into his life, Nelson, and if you will receive me and let me into every area of your life every day, then your life will start to receive every spiritual blessing. You guys, we need to know him. And he is more than willing to know us. He is passionate to know us. In fact, Jesus would give up his life for you when you didn't care about him just so that he could know you. Christ is in you. You are in Christ. And here's the application. For some of you walking out of here today, I think already the Holy Spirit has told you, hey, you know what I'm asking you to do when you walk out of here. There's a part of my life as God, that I've wanted you to be a part of, and you've just been telling me no. And I want to ask you to walk out of these doors today and take a step of faith and engage with me, and then you'll know me. And for the rest of you, some of you, you are, you're, you're, you're doing all these things for God. You know, you're being religious, but you're hiding from him, and you won't let him into your life. And for some of you today, you simply need to have on this beautiful, sunny Sunday afternoon You need to go take a walk and you just need to be honest with God and you need to confess some things to him or you need to ask for his peace. You need to receive Christ. And for some of you, you've never done that. You've just never asked Christ into your life. And you think there's spiritual power and there is. But until you let him in, that life will stay separate from you. And you will be left to live this world on your own power. And you are not designed to have to live this life on your own power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is yours. That's the best I can do. So band, come on up. And we're just going to give us a chance in these last 15 minutes of our service Uh, to worship him and to engage with him. Just so you guys know, we're not going to sing some songs because singing songs doesn't do much for us. 
but we want to worship him. I want to give you guys a chance just to be able to, 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 to sing and to, to offer your heart to God. We're going to start off uh, with one song. I think on my, on my iTunes list, it's like, on the, it's, you know, it's played so many times. And it's a song that's called Obsession. And in one of the verses, it says, this obsession is my call. What did, what did, you know, and in 2 Peter, he said, for those of you who have been called, you've been chosen. Like for me, you guys, this, what I live is so much more than just a decision. You know, I never chose to be a pastor. I never chose to be a Christian. I feel like God called me. And this obsession is my call, owning body, mind, and soul. All I live for is to know you and to be known. All I live for is to know you, God, and to be known by you. You know what Paul said in Philippians? He goes, everything else is crap. And I can say it because it's in the Bible. Everything else is crap compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing him. I'm going to sing this song. I, 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 we actually, um, I'm going to lead in worship. I don't ever really do this. But I didn't want to just teach you today. I wanted to join with you in worshiping him today. And I'm going to sing this first song. And what we want to, the words will be up. If you want to engage in the song, obviously, just sing along with us. Or maybe just in this first song, what you need to do is stop right now and ask yourself a very honest question. How bad do you want to know him? Because it's all there for you. He wants to know you. How bad do you want to let him in? And how bad do you want to engage in his life? How bad do you want everything that you need? So just start praying to God, listening to the words of the song, but soaking in him as we begin our worship time together. Let's do that.